United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Another great show for you today. Rarely do we kick off with a member of the 30 under 30 class, but I am just starting the process of interviewing all 30 members of the most recently announced class. And Maya Hayes jumped off the page at me. She was a superstar at Penn State. She won a U-20 World Cup for the USA. She played in the NWSL. She started under Karen Hoppe at Auburn, went to Minnesota under Stephanie Golan, and now is at Minnesota under Aaron Chastain. I am kicking off the show with Maya Hayes, the first of 30 interviews you'll hear from all 30 under 30 members. Maya Hayes, the assistant coach at Minnesota, will start the show. Then we do the countdown to convention with Mike Curry, who has two amazing presentations that he will break down at this year's convention. Mike Curry on the countdown to convention. Then the third part of a four-part series spearheaded by Kate Ward, the Disabilities Allies Advocacy Chair for United Soccer Coaches. This time she brings us Chris Capella, who has a nine-year-old son with Down syndrome playing in top soccer what a story he's got a daughter that's helping coach in top soccer i love our visit with chris and i love this four-part series led by kate and we end with dan lawletta who gets us straight on everything that's going on in nwsl as we head down the stretch run and it all starts after this message from our presenting sponsor team snap does managing your club or league feel like a second job If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Hard to believe, but the last three years, I'm proud to say I've interviewed all 30 of the 30 under 30 class. And I get things started with this year's class with an out and out superstar as we're pleased to kick off and have the first one with Maya Hayes, who is an assistant coach now for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Before that, she did a lot. She won a World Cup for the USA in the under 20s. She attended Penn State University from 2010 to 2013, where she played for the Nittany Lions. Check this out, folks. In 2011, she scored 31 goals, earned 70 points, and led the nation in goals and points. She set a new Penn State and Big Ten Conference record for points in a single season. And Maya Hayes finished her Penn State career having scored 71 goals in 89 matches, the third most in program history. And actually, in January 2020, she was named to the top drawer soccer.com's best 11 of the 2010s. She'd go on to play a little bit in the NWSL. As I mentioned, she won that World Cup with the U.S. youth team as well and got into coaching. Now at Minnesota, after spending a little bit of time with Auburn, and Maya Hayes is the first of 30 that we're going to interview as part of this year's 30 under 30 class. Maya, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean, thanks so much for having me. Man, that was a... That was a long-winded one right there. I wasn't expecting all of that. Uh, I appreciate the introduction, though. Thanks for having me on. Well, you deserve it. You know, I've been at the Big Ten Network since day one, 2007, and I remember calling some of your games. I have to admit, 
I forgot how many goals you scored in 2011. Maya, that's a lot of goals. Take me back to that year. I think that's just your sophomore year. Like, what in the world was going on? Like, how were you scoring so many goals? Honestly, I feel like it was just a combination of finally finding finding your footing, right? I think everybody understands freshman year. Um, your head's spinning a little bit just from adjusting to the level and, and all the things that are going on that first year. And then, honestly, I think it was just a combination of adjusting to the level, finally, um, after a little bit of time, finally getting a spring under my belt to really go through a development period with Ann Cook and, and kind of the forwards club or finishing club that uh, she would coin it as far as doing work with her. And then just the people around me, honestly, I think I, I think that was who I commended, I think that entire season. And to this day, I still commended playing with the likes of Taylor Schramm and Christine Nairn um, around me that season. And for a few seasons after that, um, I think that it, it's really special when you find connections like that. Um, and, and a lot of what Ann would say during that season is she just wouldn't, she wouldn't coach us really. <laughs> she would just kind of let it go. And it would just, things seemed to click. And there was just kind of this, uh, understanding between us that just really worked and she was like I'm not going to touch it I don't want to mess with it um and and obviously uh some really special things came out of all of that you clearly had a bunch of hat tricks that year right or braces or whatever you had a ton of multi-goal games because you don't even play that many games to get 31 goals I mean do you remember scoring like four or five in a game that year I didn't totally look that up but to get to 31 goals in one season is is ridiculous actually I think I honestly <laughs> My dad's going to love this. I think the only, I only had one hat trick that season, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was actually against uh, Pitt. And I say my dad's going to love it because my dad is a Pitt grad and it's the actually only hat trick I ever had in my career. And it was at Pitt. And my dad was like, really? <laughs> like of all games? Um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a funny one. But, uh, but yeah, honestly, yeah, it must, I guess it must've been like a lot of two goal games, I guess. But yeah, okay. I actually only had, I think the one hat trick in my entire career. Well, your entire career at Penn State, because if I'm reading this correctly, at the U-20 Women's World Cup, you scored a hat trick against Ghana, did you not, in the first match of that one when you went on to win the gold? Do you remember that one? I do remember that one. I do remember that one. It was it came came flying out of the gate in that game. Um, and it was, it, I think for us, a lot of us were, there was quite a few of us that had played in the 2010 World Cup that, that cycle. And so we felt kind of the sting of how that one ended it when, uh, when I, I believe it was, Nigeria that we ended up losing to if I remember correctly my brain might be failing me on that one but uh but yeah I know we kind of went out early in the 2010 World Cup so I know there was a, a lot of holdover as far as some of us that were able to play in that next one and so I think it really showed in that first game of like kind of setting the tones and making a statement as to kind of where we wanted to go and what we wanted to make of that of that tournament you won the world cup i mean you won the 2012 japan fifa under 20 world cup kalia watt was on that team vanessa di bernardo was on that team morgan bryan was on that team that team was loaded huh i mean yeah because then you add because then you add crystal dunn you add julie well it was julie johnson at the time but now julie Ertz. I mean, you add Sam Mewis to that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like the list literally goes on and on. Um, it was it was a really, really fun group to be a part of. Um, Sarah Killian was on that. Like I literally could keep going. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of kind of cool to see the evolution of all of those names that are really now household names in the in the realm of women's soccer with the NWSL and national team and, and just kind of the progression from that point. It's been really cool to kind of see uh 
see those names really rise and and have very very uh, illustrious careers since then. That was during your college career. So did you take off that year or did you do both? What do you remember about that season? I remember that season being a whirlwind. <laughs> I remember, uh, I mean, that year in general was probably a whirlwind, to be honest, um, just in the way of when you're having camps and stuff like that early in the year and school and all that good stuff. So we were having camps quite frequently uh, during that spring semester. So I do remember, I think I actually had to take less than full-time credits that spring semester but I took enough credits that I was still able to practice while uh, when I was actually back at on campus. And then, um, yeah, that fall, we the way the World Cup worked out when it ended, um, we got back, I think, right in time for conference play, actually. And so it was kind of that, like, do you take off? Do you, do you play? And so uh, actually ended up playing that season. Um, that is actually the season that we uh, made it to the national championship against UNC um, and Dean here is wearing a UNC uh, baseball cap, of course. So just rubbing it in a little bit because uh, <laughs> that, that didn't end well for us. But yeah, so that actually ended up being just based on when the College Cup actually is. That ended up being the longest year and season, I think, of my life. Um, but it was obviously a very, very fun one. And to, I mean, just to win a World Cup and, and make it to a national championship in the same season, literally within a month or so of each other. I mean, that's not that's that's an awesome awesome achievement in and of itself and something that I'm, I'm really grateful for indeed and hopefully you'll give me a pass my youngest son is a Tar Heel he goes to University of North Carolina so they get my money Maya so fair I enough, think that means enough. I can wear a hat <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough I, I, I get awesome. it I get it my best friend went to UNC so I, I understand I understand <laughs> Oh, we're here with Maya Hayes on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, the first of what is planned to be 30 interviews with this year's class of the 30 under 30. And I was so pumped to see your name on there. You're only 29, Maya Hayes. And obviously, you, some of those players we mentioned are still playing in the NWSL. What made you say, you know what, I'm ready to, to get out and, and start coaching? You started at Auburn, then ended up at Minnesota. Just talk about your journey to become a coach. Yeah, I think that journey is never easy um, as far as, and I think a lot of people can relate as far as just being an athlete and especially making it to, I mean, the highest level that you can, right? Um, and having done it for so long, it really does become your identity. Um, and so I think just that kind of journey as far as adventuring away from the playing aspect of things was definitely not one that was easy. Um, I think it was kind of just a, a combination of things as far as timing. Um, I think a little bit of my brain getting the best of me as far as trying to think future-wise, uh, what was my plan um, and what did that look like? Um, and what I mean by that is I knew that I wanted to get into coaching, but I knew that I wanted to get my master's first. Um, and I knew that if I went directly into coaching as far as a full-time position, um, there was a likely chance that it was going to take me forever to do my master's. So I figured, um, do my master's, do a graduate assistant position so that way I'm kind of doing double duty as far as getting a get a, achieving my master's getting it paid for and then also being able to do it at Auburn and, and get so much quality experience under a head coach like Karen Hoppe and, and some great assistants that she had during the time that I was there as well I mean I, I feel like you can't beat that opportunity um, so once that one came once that opportunity arose it was something that was a little hard to pass up and so I, I kind of took it from there once again like I think I wanted to get the experience um, as to just what it was like in a daily environment in the coaching world. Um, as far as collegiate coaching goes, I had great examples um, for my playing career at Penn State, but I think it's different when you're experiencing it from the player side versus actually being in it daily um, on the coaching side of things. So that was kind of like my 
I guess, path in my reasoning at the time. And then from there, yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely grew a lot as a coach, worked a lot of camps um, just to kind of get comfortable, right? It's one thing to know what you're talking about, but to be able to, I think the art of coaching is being able to actually clearly explain yourself uh, to the student athletes. And that's something that you only can gain that skill by doing it over and over and over again. So I worked a lot of camps. I figured if I, uh, if I can explain myself clearly to five, six and seven year olds, then surely 18 to 22 year olds should be able to understand what I'm talking about. So, uh, so yeah, so it was quite the journey for sure. And, and I think I, I definitely have my moments of looking back of like, eh, I think I could still play, but, uh, but I'm definitely fortunate to be where I am today. And, and it's been a great experience so far. All right, great segue. As you're at Minnesota, Stephanie Golan, who I've got mad respect for, uh, decides because of family issues to move to Missouri. In steps Aaron Chastain, a little different personality, but fun. Just called your game against Illinois, where you guys look fantastic and definitely were having a ton of fun. So, Maya, that's not easy. So, you decide to jump from Auburn to Minnesota. Stephanie Golan brings you on the Big Ten is loving that you're on. I remember Erica Dombach even commenting on how Stephanie Golan got a great person and a great coach. She leaves, you decide to stay. Talk about going through that process of, you know, you kind of have to probably get interviewed again, I would guess, and meet Aaron and get to know her, right? Yeah, I think the month of June was the longest month of my life because <laughs> it felt like everything was up in the air and that I didn't quite have a hold on any of it. Um, but yeah, but I think something that uh, just uh, I think a good experience in general, I, I don't know that one that I obviously saw coming down the road, but uh, one that just I gained, I think I learned a lot of different lessons from it and just I think also learned what was important to me um, as far as uh, being in this career, um, it's obviously very fast paced and ever changing um, and having to really dial in on the things that matter outside of it um, and what that lifestyle looked like, honestly. And that was something that uh, Steph and I talked about a lot, actually, um, when when the transition was happening and kind of kind of trying to figure out what the next step was going to be. Um, and it, it's been awesome with Aaron so far, honestly. Um, yeah, that was, it also felt like it happened in a whirlwind as far as her getting hired and just the timing of everything, as far as how uh, quickly the season was upon us. Um, I think she got hired, I want to say like officially middle of July. And then uh, obviously you're, you're talking three and a half weeks later or something like that, like preseason is actually starting. So everything happened very quickly, but it's been, it's been a really cool experience. Um, and I think while I, maybe it was, wasn't one that I saw coming down the road as far as obviously uh, starting with Steph and then, and then being with Aaron now, um, obviously not something that I saw coming, but um, it's just, it's been cool to see um, what strong women in this field uh, look like and what they're capable of doing. And so hats off to Steph for, bringing me on and appreciate very appreciative of her giving me the opportunity to begin with um and then yeah it's been great with Erin um I think that uh between uh Allie her and myself uh we have very very good personality balance between the three of us um and we, we definitely have a lot of fun with our staff so no it's been it's been really cool and, and something I, I think that we really take pride in as far as um, being, I think it was the stat that came out a few weeks ago was something like only one of three uh, all-female staffs um, in, in a Power Five conference, so in the Power Five conferences. So yeah, so it's it's been a really fun experience so far. 
Yeah, I'm glad you put that stat in there because we need to continue to promote the fact, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Uh, along that lines, what made you want to see and be part of the 30 under 30 class? Because it's certainly a unique opportunity. It's a coveted opportunity. What do you remember about applying for it? What made you apply for it? And then what do you remember about learning that you, in fact, were part of this year's 30 under 30 class? Yeah, I think that uh, I think it, it's been an awesome opportunity. It's one that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, let me say that first and foremost. Um, I, I'm sure that uh, it's it's something that I mean, I will say that I, I definitely don't take lightly as far as being being um, a part of the class this year. Um, yeah, I think honestly, I think for the past, I'd say two and a half years, um, people have been telling me to apply for it, if I'm being honest. And I think I, for whatever reason, I was dragging my feet a little bit, or just, I think part of it was COVID and just feeling like everybody's life was up in the air during that time. Um, and then, yeah. And then this past, I think it was August. Um, I had actually just gotten the email and kind of made a mental note of like, yeah, I need to, I need to fill out that application. And then I think maybe a second after I made that mental note in my head, Aaron forwarded me the email and said, you need to apply for this. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I think she was on the same wavelength as me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, filling out the application and, and as far as what made me apply or what, what am I looking forward to, I guess, within this, within this program is just a little bit of what I just spoke to as far as having already having the, the ability or um, chance, I should say opportunity um, to have, experienced some really strong um, and great and awesome coaches, female coaches, as far as Karen Hoppe, Erica Dombach, Ann Cook, um, Aaron Chastain, Steph, like, I mean, you can't, you can't get a list much better than that. So just, just all of the experiences that I've been um, fortunate enough to grow from um, just underneath all of them. Right. And just kind of experience it. I think it was kind of a no brainer as far as another opportunity in that mentorship piece of um, getting to experience somebody else's perspective a little bit, right? And, and kind of what their experience is like and what can I grasp and take from that and, and apply to my own experiences and, and to the future um, and to help me continue to grow in this field. Because um, although it feels like I've had quite a bit of experience, I feel like a lot of that experience is playing wise, right? Not a lot of experience in the coaching aspect of it. And so what what greater opportunity than to learn from people that have been in this business for however long and, and from different experiences and backgrounds to, to really help shape me and continue to shape my uh, career as we continue on this road. I'm beyond delighted to kick off this year's 30 under 30 class with arguably one of the most esteemed members of any 30 under 30 class. And I mean that with all due respect to every other member that we've ever had. But in Maya Hayes, you're talking about a U-20 World Cup champion. You're talking about one of the most prolific goal scorers in the history of college soccer. And now you're talking about somebody who's been sitting on the bench at Auburn and now at Minnesota. And I like the fact that you also gave props to Minnesota for the all-female staff. You know, not too long ago, I interviewed Kia McNeil. Uh, you know, make no mistake about it, our, our country is a little bit crazy right now, and we need to continue to also promote Black Lives Matter. As a Black female, I think about Kia McNeil, and then I think about you. You know, if you can see it, you can be it. You're seeing Kia get it done, right? So that's got to be your inspiration to want to be a head coach someday. I hope that's what you're going to tell me. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. Honestly, I get that a lot. I don't know that I've, I've fully decided on it one way or another. Um, I think part of it, er Erica likes to say that, Erica Dombach likes to say that um, Ann Cook has spoiled me a little bit as far as seeing Ann be able to do what she does in the role that she has at Penn State. 
um, has, has spoiled my uh, my perception maybe a little bit of of, of how to, what I can achieve. Um, and so Eric is always like, yeah, head coach. And Anne's like, well, there's nothing wrong with associate head coach. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with associate head coach. Because again, I, I got to work with Anne probably the most at my career uh, at Penn State. So I, I'm not, I haven't said, I'm, I'm just going to say I haven't settled on anything as of yet. Um, just, I think, trying to be a sponge in this field and, and grasp everything that I can. And yes, absolutely. You spoke to Kim and McNeil a short while ago. And yes, definitely um, just in general for, I think for me um, in this field of if you can see her, you can be her. And, and that's something that I truly believe in. And I try to, I try to embody on a daily basis. And I think she is somebody in this field that is, is represents that factor for me as well. Um, just as far as being in this field, having success in this career, in this career, um, and, and again, there's not a lot of, uh, coaches in this field that look like me. Right. And that's just fact of the matter. It just, it, it is what it is, what it is. And so, um, to see her do it at such a high level, um, that is something that I truly aspire, um, in whatever field that I'm in, that's true. Something I truly aspire to be in, and some, somebody for sure that, uh, is definitely paving the way and, and yeah, they're off to a great start and having a great season. So, uh, hats off to her over at Brown. Let's end with the notion of, as you said, if you can see her, you can be her. You know, Maya, as I said earlier, you know, we, we live in a divisive country right now. Uh, how hard is it knowing that you have to overcome that part of it? You know, we, we've seen what happened to George Floyd and the, you know, name after name after name. Can you put into words? And I know it's a loaded question, and a tough question, but, you know, that's massive responsibility that, uh, I think people are looking for you to embrace. They want you to embrace. They see you as a shining star representing, you know, not just women, but women of color. I think it's a great opportunity for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's one that um, I, one, haven't taken lightly for sure. I think it's also one that I had to really do um, just be a little bit more introspective about as, I mean, again, you kind of mentioned um, kind of a little bit of the social injustices that have gone on in our country over, I mean, over plenty of years, um, but specifically in the last few years. And I think just with all of that being a little bit more introspective as far as what does that look like for me in the field that I'm in? Um, and I think I, I think I was watching or um, there was some something that was put on, I guess it was uh, maybe a year or so ago, and Kia was actually on the panel, panel discussion. There we go, words are coming back, <laughs> panel discussion. And uh, Kia was on it and she just talked about how um, she had an experience as far as being at Brown. And again, it's, it's, it's a sport that is predominantly white, right? And so um, she was kind of going about business as usual as at, at, her, at her school. And it was after a game and one of her student athletes walked up to her and was like, don't, like, don't you don't you like, doesn't this bother you? And it kind of took you a back, back a little bit of just far as like, what, what are you referring to? And just like, there's not a lot of us that look like, there's not a lot of us that look like this or look like us um, in, in our sport. Um, and it took her a second because again, because of that fact, um, you kind of just go through business as usual, right? You just kind of adjust and you learn how to navigate and, um, and just kind of go about your business and kind of keep your head down and do what you got to do. Um, to, to succeed and, and progress. And so it kind of took her uh, back a little bit in the sense of like, I have a responsibility to these student athletes to make a statement with that, not just by rep the representation factor, but actually having conversations, right? And, and learning opportunities and growth within that. And so that was something that actually touched home for me in the same way, right? Of just as a player, you just, you're part of this sport is the diversity as far as, um, 
being on coming being on teams with people from all over the country and of different backgrounds and whatever it is but still being in that field of not a lot of us look the same um, or look like me, I should say. And so um, you, you just kind of get into that groove of it is what it is. And I'm just going to go about business as usual. And then when I heard that, it kind of like, yeah, I, I, it's kind of the same. Like I can relate to that exact same experience. Right. And now it's like, I'm no longer in the shoes of that, of those, the players of just putting your head down and just grinding. Right. Um, there is that representation factor that I talked to and that you spoke to as far as if you can see her, you can be there. And um, it's something that, again, I try to embody on a daily basis. So being way more conscious of that and the opportunities that um, I have just to educate on my own experience, if, on my own experiences, if anything else, right. Of just, little conversations here and there with, with some of my student athletes and just, again, opening their eyes to different perspectives. Right. And it's not saying that uh, because I say what I say, you have to automatically agree with me, but it's just kind of where we are working with student athletes that are 18 to 22 years old. Right. And so making sure that we're helping them grow in their, in their own minds and perspectives um, and, and really grow into great humans, honestly, <laughs> to really make an impact on this world. Um, and so I think that is where uh, I can definitely relate and, and something that uh, something that I'm, I think, continuously working on to, to really be introspective about and, and making sure that I'm doing that, my due diligence, my part um, to, to hold a standard, but also open some eyes and, and help people grow. My eyes are open. It's uh, been so awesome to have you on the bench in the Big Ten after your amazing career in the Big Ten. We're going to end it with this. I'm speaking for you. I'm Maya Hayes. I started Penn State. I won a World Cup. I played in the NWSL. I got my master's degree. I was at Auburn. I'm at Minnesota. And, and I'm a member of the 30 under 30 class. So with that, and for you, just put into words what it does mean to be a part of this year's 30 under 30 class. It means everything. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think if I'm trying to keep it short, it just it's another step for me to grow, right? And just as a person, as a as a human being, as a coach, um, to learn. Um, and something that we used to say at Penn State is to we say play for those that came before you, right? So now it's learning from those that have come before me, right? As far as um, really trying to. Not, take a, not necessarily take a walk in their shoes, but just understand their shoes a little bit more, right? And, and how does that apply to me? And, and how, can I, uh, how can I grow from those experiences? So it means everything. I'm super grateful for this opportunity. Um, and I, I look forward to like a really fun class and just, uh, just getting to work with, uh, with growing and learning. I look forward to seeing you in future games. I feel like Minnesota is going to make the Big Ten tournament. I call a lot of the Big Ten tournament, Maya. So I hope uh, to see you on the bench for the Golden Gophers. Congrats on being the first of this year's class interviewed on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Maya Hayes, a rock star for Minnesota now, previously Penn State and everywhere else. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Dean. And we go from one superstar to another as Mike Curry will feature in this week's countdown to convention he's got two special presentations he's involved in the foundation he does it all and he always does it with a smile mike curry countdown to convention when we return 
United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. This is the Countdown to Convention portion of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and I'm so pleased to be counting down to the convention with one of my favorites at the convention. Why? This man always has a smile on his face. He always has time for everybody. He's so well-respected. He's done so much with the foundation, so much with the board, so much to make sure that we continue to also push the fight for equality and love and respect. That's what this man is all about. We're talking about Mike Curry. Mike, thanks uh, for being on the Countdown to Convention. Uh, Dean, thank you. And thank you for the, the wonderful welcome. I much appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's from the heart and you make it easy, Mike. And I was excited to see when Jeff Van Dusen sent me over some of the key presenters he wanted on early. And he's like, let's get Mike on early. So that means that uh, he feels like you've got some exciting things to share. So I know it's more than one presentation, but I'll let you pick which one you want to start with, give as much detail. We'll follow up on that, and then we'll get to the other presentation. Okay, well, let's let's start with the one I'm really excited about, and it's it's called Alliances, and it really is a presentation that I'll be doing with uh, Louise Waxler, who uh, a former past president of the association and very involved in the game, and quite frankly, in in my opinion, I believe she's one of the best administrators in the game. She served at all levels, both professional soccer and in club soccer in a variety of roles. And so I'm pleased to be able to do this session with her. And it's evolved from a recent experience with her current club, McLean, where she uh, asked me to come in. I had just retired. And what was going on, especially with COVID, a lot of clubs were finding, uh, because of COVID, it really stressed them from the business side. And you basically had two types of clubs, those that were strong enough to uh, look at their situation, both from an operational and a financial standpoint. And they were strong enough to survive and had the flexibility to manage through COVID. And then fortunately, there were others where it hit, hit their core business hard and their boards or their leadership structure had to step back and say, wow, can we manage this? Maybe this is a time to start looking to align and create some sort of partnership with another club and maybe continue our legacy going forward, partnering with someone else. And McLean was getting those types of uh, uh, offers or requests. And so Louise called me in to basically uh, help her board and a team that we formed to develop a whole process around that. And the process involved one, uh, we called it our fitness test. And it was interesting because it forced the club to take a look at itself. Why would you want to do this? What is our strategic plan? What is our vision for the next three to five years? 
And how would a relationship like this help us? And also at the same time, help this other organization. So that's one of the things we're gonna talk about is how do you go through that? It really is you know, an opportunity for a club to take a look at itself, to make sure it's doing all the things it needs to do and that its own house is in order. Then the second step after passing that fitness test, meaning you go through and say, okay, this looks like it might have a good fit. A lot of people don't realize, and I, I tell you, Dean, for me, it was like eye-opening to think about, we take for granted when we pass a field on a weekend and we're watching kids enjoying playing this beautiful game, but there's so much behind it. I mean, from the scheduling of the fields, all the legal and business issues around just acquiring that field, the permits, the insurance, um, you know, managing all the dynamics, sponsorships, et cetera. I mean, you could go on and on and on. We take those for granted. There's just part of doing the business of soccer. But when you're combining two clubs, uh, these things now become quite a challenge to think about, okay, so what are we going to call ourselves under this new relationship? And we have existing agreements with sponsors and other service providers that we now have to negotiate. And it's all those things. How will the board be structured? Who's going to be the leader now? <laughs> and how do we get a voice at the table since we're the acquired club? And most importantly, Dean, what type of relationship will it be? Will it be a partnership? Is it a merger? Is it an acquisition? Is it an alliance? Each one has different business, operational, and legal implications. So this session will be Louise and I providing some tools and we're uh, willing to share because we believe it's our way of contributing to this beautiful game. And we invested a lot of time and effort into it. We've been even asked, you know, you guys should probably market this stuff. But at the end of the day, no, we, we wanna make sure that if clubs out there are struggling or if there's an opportunity, why not help that opportunity be the best that it can be? So I'm excited about this session because I do think just judging from what we've all been through over the last two years, there's probably gonna be a good attendance because I can't imagine that there won't be a good group of, of uh, administrators and club leadership that's looking to try to answer some of these questions. I've never okay. been more sure that there's gonna be a great attendance for this one. This is right on point. And it really does fit into what the sort of altruistic values of United Soccer Coaches is. You're right, you could market this, but you believe in learning and sharing and that's the foundation of United Soccer Coaches. So that's what you're gonna do with this presentation, Mike. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Your comments are spot on. And I'm excited about it because, again, you, you hit the nail on the head. This is all about helping people. And it's funny, you, when you asked me to do this, I've been chuckling about your comments. You said, Mike, you know, I've been to so many conventions. Every time I see you, you're always smiling. <laughs> well, I'm happy there. And I think you just uncovered, revealed another reason why I'm happy. When I go there, I'm either a student and I'm learning because I always learn. And that's something I would encourage all the listeners here. You're, if you really want to enjoy this sport or anything, quite frankly, become a lifelong student. And I learned that at the, at the convention, quite frankly, my very first one, I go, wow, this is fantastic. And I've tried to make it a point to uh, do that. And as I've gotten older and more mature and experienced, I uh, continue to learn, but I also realized that, ooh, now I can be a better teacher. So having an opportunity to do a session like this and share with others what we went through is, is I mean, that's, that's the reason for being there. Well, in many ways, Louise is the same. She's always smiling and she's also 
a lifelong student, correct? Yes. yes. And very good at this. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better person to be presenting with. She, she, uh, she gets it in. She's going to bring a lot of real, uh, you know, real time experiences that uh, people can share. Matter of fact, our challenge will be how can we get through the material quickly because we think the real value will be in the Q&A. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to call you both Ponce de Leon because you guys are ageless <laughs> and you seem to get you seem to get better with age. And I mean that sincerely. So <laughs> you found that fountain of youth and, and I'm glad to hear that the United Soccer Coaches is, is part of it. All right. Well, that's one presentation. Tell us about the other presentation that you're going to be doing, Mike. Yeah, the other one I'll be doing with uh, Rob Smith, um, dear friend and colleague who most of you know, um, we created a program called um, Coaching, Managing Your Career as a Business. And we developed originally for the uh, Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, because we found there was a gap in these very talented individuals who were coming up on barriers. And a lot of times those barriers weren't necessarily their skill level and their ability to contribute to the game, nor their ability to coach. It really came down to running their lives as a business. And so it's a, it's a multi-part and multifaceted uh, presentation. We skinnied it down to hit the highlights. And the three areas that we're gonna focus on out of the six that are part of the curriculum will be um, connecting and networking. And that's all about relationships. How do you do that? And how do you create lifelong relationships that have both real and intrinsic value over time? I mean, we all know people, right? And we know who we can call at three in the morning and those who are just casual relationships. This is about establishing those core relationships with people who can really help you with your career. They provide access, they provide advocacy, they help you get connected with the people who are gonna make your careers grow. Uh, I'm a perfect example of that as a part-time coach. Uh, I had a very successful corporate career and I just know how wonderful this game was for me at the collegiate level. And I decided to give back and I started out as a rec coach and just over the years, worked my way up through the ranks and who would have thought that I, I would get as high as I did. And a lot of it had to do with those relationships. And I think as a person of color in particular, it's very important. It was important for me to master the art of doing that. And I have friends today that clearly I owe um, a, a great debt to for my experiences that and the doors that they open for me. So we're gonna spend time there. And the key here is strategic networking, not networking for networking's sake, but how do you create a strategy around it? And that, that part's exciting because it's fun. We have a little exercise that we do. And then the second piece is going to get into um, managing risk. So that's the business side of your career. People don't think about, well, wait a minute, you're a coach. So, and COVID's a perfect example. A lot of people did not prepare for COVID. So that's financial planning. Suppose you can't coach for six months. What's your fallback position? What are other ways you can generate revenue? How about insurance? Not just for liability out on the field, but all the other things to protect you. How do you manage risk? Do you have a staff? Are you doing the, the, the things to make sure that you create a safe and uh, 
productive experience for your participants. Something as simple as, oh, so your club or you have administered first aid kits to your coaches. Have you ever gotten training on how to use them? And the answer is, well, no, we just keep them in the car. Well, do you realize you've just increased your liability by having the first aid kit? You're actually better off not having the kit. <laughs> if you're going to have the kit, you have to have training and people have to know how to use it. But more importantly, it's not about liability. I, from my entire career, said I will never. Mike Curry, you can do a lot of things and you can goof up on a lot of things. But the one thing you want to make sure you never want on your resume is you never want to be at a field and someone's child is in distress physically or in some other way. And you're standing there wondering, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. I said, I never want to be in that position. So dealing with things like CPR and first aid, dealing with bloodborne pathogens and all those other things that we take for granted, well, not all of us have trainers. Most clubs don't. <laughs> so I'm now that. And mm -hmm. so that's just one area of risk we're going to talk about, right? And then um, the last piece is just uh, setting uh, goals, is career setting. That, that's, that's one that's really interesting. And you know where this really comes up, Dean? That transition that a coach makes, he or she, from the playing field to an administrator manager, most have not thought about that transition and what's involved. And so we're going to spend time on that as well. So not only planning a career that's coaching, but also what are the other pathways that you have talents to do? I mean, you uh, again, this is another one of those things that we take for granted as coaches. We, we actually acquire and develop a lot of great skills over our career. And how do you leverage that to expand and exploit career opportunities for yourself? So that's what this second one is gonna be about. And we hope to have some panelists. So it's a, actually this one's 90 minutes. We've asked for the extra time so we can do the content, then have a Q and A in the second segment. And then the third segment, we have, we, we're gonna have two guests that we believe people will really uh, enjoy hearing how they manage their careers through these three areas that we're describing. So I would remind everybody to go to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org, plug in Mike Curry, and you'll be able to find out at least eventually what days and times these two all important presentations and unique presentations are happening. Mike, a couple more questions for you before we let you go. Also at the convention, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation will get together. They'll also have some special people there that got their courtesy of the foundation, which just makes the foundation even that much more special. I think, you know, that all you foundation guys are going to get together. That's always an exciting time, right? Cause you guys are always planning. It, it is. And, and Dean, I can't thank you enough for bringing it up uh, again, talking about a way to give back to the organization. I am truly grateful to be in a position to contribute in a variety of ways and that one brings me joy because now I've been at it long enough that when I go to a convention, I'll occasionally have a coach bump into me and say, hey, uh, Coach Curry, you know, I, I took advantage of one of those scholarships and here's what I'm doing today. Or this happened to me as a result of the foundation's support. And those stories are just so heartwarming to know that there are people out there who uh, we're able to take advantage of those programs and are doing really, really well. And so, yes, we'll have our, um, our annual reception and it's usually catered. So if you're 
tight on a budget and you're looking for some free eats and drinks, <laughs> I always tell people to come, but I make them stay. If I see them, you got to at least stay and watch the presentations. We do a quick update on what we've done and it's always fun. We get to acknowledge our sponsors and these are organizations that have been very generous in their giving. And then what we do is we uh, each year acknowledge someone who's contributed significantly to the foundation and we award them the, uh, the Bill Holloman a meritorious service award and this year's recipient is very very worthy and i i just can't wait to be there to see them receive it so i hope that people will show up and and just for that moment then you know and we're, we're really efficient so you can come there get started and we'll leave you enough time to leave the session and go out and have a few beers with your buddies <laughs> this is great countdown to convention with mike curry my last question um could embarrass you i hope it doesn't because it's meant as uh, a compliment and I just call it like I see it so tonight two days before this airs I have Northwestern and Wisconsin men's soccer on the Northwestern sideline is Russell Payne who is as handsome as you he's also <laughs> a black man I mean handsome and black he also has success coaching goalkeepers with the U.S. national team yep. and you know what the old saying if you can see it you can be it so another representation of more African-American coaches getting D1 jobs when you know that Russell Payne is on TV tonight, how does that make you feel, Mike Curry? Oh, incredibly proud. First of all, Russell Payne grew up and developed in my backyard. I never had the privilege of working with him directly, but indirectly, I'll say that, yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, one, one of the uh, homies, as we say. <laughs> um, Jorgen, uh, when, when Russell was in national camp, Jorgen, uh, as one of his you know, regulars, invited me to join them. And so I came in, I got, you know, got my pass and got my credentials. And he says, see, Mike, I got someone, I think he's better looking than you and he's younger too. <laughs> and I said, oh, Jordan, you know how to rivet in there. Don't you? I said, but you know something? I happen to agree with you. And at that time, Russell was coming out and I gave him a big hug and I said, hey, how you doing, buddy? And you're, you're, you're working for a really great guy, you know, pick his brain. He's, you can learn a lot from him. And I was just so proud to see him out there and doing what he's doing but then to see him you know grow to this level um it's, it's an awesome thing to see and and quite frankly russell it's sky's the limit for him so i'm i'm a big fan and i wish him well so thank you for bringing that up and i i would also say lastly that i think it represents a world where we're truly looking at how much more we have in common than we are different and as we do that, we're going to explore. There's a lot of talent around us that maybe we haven't given the right attention to. And I hope that more and more of that happens. We get to a point where we don't care of your background, who you look like. If you can play, if you can coach, hey, come and join our team. Amen. I mean, the only thing I care about the fact is both of you are a lot better looking than me, you know. But, oh, stop, you know, it. stop it. It is what it stop is, it. you know. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. You're, that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Curry, always fun. And talk about learning. I learn something new every time I talk to you, and I mean that sincerely. Thanks so much for being on this week's Countdown to Convention. The new CEO, Jeff Van Dusen, will be super happy as well. So I get brownie points uh, as well for uh, getting that done as well. Mike Curry. And congratulations, to Jeff. Congratulations to Jeff. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Indeed. Mike Curry, great to be with you. Have a great week, and thanks for being on the Countdown to Convention. Dean, thank you. When we return, it's the third part of a four-part series led by Kate Ward, the Disabilities Allies Chair for the United Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group for 
Disabilities Allies. She's been on. Last week we had Terry St. John who works with Top Soccer. Today we have on a gentleman who has a child involved in Top Soccer. We'll meet him and his story when we return. That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. It's the third part of a four-part series that was engineered by the great Kate Ward, who's the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Advocacy Group. We decided to make October Awareness Month for disabilities, and it has been great. And of course, last week, we talked to Terry St. John, the longtime Butler coach, whose team actually works with Top Soccer. This week, Kate Ward thought it would be a good idea to actually talk to a parent who has a child in Top Soccer. And that's exactly what we're going to do with Chris Capella, who joins me now. Chris, welcome to this all-important four-part series as we create more awareness for disabilities and disabilities allies. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, delighted to have you and thrilled to hear that you're a Hoosier. Of course, I called Indiana yesterday, and I guess you're tied to, I mean, you're essentially tied to the Godfather because your wife is best friends with the Godfather's son, Todd Yeagley, who's now the coach at Indiana. Walk us through that story. Yeah, so my wife, um, really good friends with uh, Susie Yeagley. They were roommates um, in college, and, uh, you know, we all hung out um, when, when we were there and, and had some really good times. So uh, was actually at their, their wedding, Todd and Susie's wedding, uh, a while ago, and we still keep in touch with them, and my wife talks to Susie quite a bit. So we're big, big uh, Hoosier fans. Cool. Well, I'm big Hoosier fan. I'm even a bigger Yagley fan. So anybody that's a friend of the Yagleys is a friend of mine. So glad to have you have you on. Before we uh, get into this, Chris, tell me what you do. What's uh, what kind of job do you have? Yeah. So I work for a company called uh, Roche. Uh, we're in the pharmaceuticals and diagnostics, and I work uh, in finance for them. Okay. Awesome. Obviously, a great company. All right. Well, last week Terry St. John from Butler did a marvelous job of breaking down what it has meant to her club to work with top soccer. And I know you've got a 19 year old daughter who played casually a 17 year daughter who's all in. And then you have a nine year old son with downs that is uh, obviously very much involved with top soccer. Tell us how you found top soccer and go ahead and tell us your kids names, but specifically your nine year old son, how much he is enjoying it. Yeah, so uh, my 19-year-old's uh, name is Emma. Um, she's currently a freshman at the University of Tennessee. 
Uh, my 17-year-old's a senior in high school right now. Her name is Bailey. And then uh, my nine-year-old son, Aiden, who is a member of Top Soccer and uh, just loves it. Um, he cannot wait to get uh, to Top Soccer every Sunday night. He asks us uh, when they go on a little break, um, he must ask us 20 times when it's going to start up again. So, yeah, he, he is all in and, and just couldn't be having more fun with, uh, with Sean Addison and the crew over at Indy Premier. Yeah, put into words what Indy Premier's done and Sean Addison, what they've done to really help your nine-year-old son uh, get some joy out of uh, what he's doing in soccer. Yeah, so they run a program called Top Soccer, and um, it is just a fun um, way to bring the kids, uh, bring um, the game to people with uh, disabilities. And they do a couple things. First and foremost, they make it fun. They're playing music, they're over loudspeakers. Um, you know, the coaches are all dancing and having a good time and they all give them buddies. Um, and the buddies uh, help them through the different drills and the different games. And like I said, it is just a fun, it's, it's almost like a party atmosphere. Uh, I think if uh, all kids could train that way, every kid in the, in the world would, uh, would be playing soccer um, all the time. So they make it a lot of fun. If you were able to speak for your son right now, and we're going to ask you to do that, and we said, hey, young man, what do you like most about top soccer? What do you think he would tell you? I think he'd tell, tell me the people. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's really social, as, you know, as we all are. And, you know, he can't wait to get there and, one, play soccer, but, two, just interact and have a good time and meet people and, and play. Now, as a family unit, what do, does the entire family, I know you got one in Tennessee now, but they've clearly been around it. What does the entire family see as far as the value of top soccer? Yeah, so one, it, it gets, uh, gets Aiden out there. Um, but the, the other thing, Sean, uh, we hadn't, or um, Dean, we hadn't talked about is uh, my middle daughter actually volunteers as well. So she actually does top soccer from the other side and she has a blast with it as much or more than Aiden as well. So um, it's definitely a, a team uh, or family, a family event. Uh, we all have a good time. Uh, my daughter loves volunteering. Aiden loves playing. Um, and my oldest daughter um, and, and wife even love to go watch. Cause like I said, it's a good time. It's fun. Um, even sometimes they invite us to play with the kids on the soccer field. Um, and, and that can be a lot of fun too, as a family. That's awesome to hear that, uh, your middle daughter is there helping. And certainly that's got to bring a smile to Aiden as well, knowing that she's nearby. This is kind of an interesting question that Kate helped pose. And that is how has adaptive soccer, which is what the top soccer program is changed the way you watch your daughter's games. So now you get to go back to, you know, modern day and that type of thing. How's that changed the way you watch your daughter's game? Yeah, that's a great, great, great question, Dean. Uh, my wife and I have talked about this um, quite a bit. Um, as you know, having a child with disabilities can present a lot of challenges, but one thing it definitely does is put things in perspective. Um, you know, uh, the level of soccer that my middle daughter plays can be pretty intense, um, but at the end of the, end of the day, um, we just try and focus on the joy of the game. Um, you know, if she's having a smile on her face, um, like her brother always does, um, you know, that's what we try and look for. And, you know, the other thing is uh, with Aiden, um, you know, it is purely the joy of the game um, and us watching him and getting a kick out of it. And it gives us some perspective to just step back and say, 
maybe it's not all about the winning and losing. I mean, it can be when you get into sectionals and state tournaments and things like that, but it's, it's about the experience and the joy of watching your, your kid achieve something um, and, and have a good time and just have that smile. The other night for senior night, uh, they put her on the field. She's a goalkeeper. They put her on the field as a forward. And, you know, she ran out with a big, big smile on her face. And she was about, uh, she hit a, a rocket shot, a volley. No one expected, missed it by about, you know, a foot, the goal by about a foot. And it was just like, we were grinning ear to ear, even though it really wasn't her position and, you know, was just kind of a, um, you know, a, a fun thing. And, and we look for those experiences and just try and treasure those. I'm guessing it's the same way if Aiden's able to get off a shot or maybe score a goal or make a big time save or do a tackle. I'm guessing the joy is the same, if not even, even bigger joy. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, you know, obviously has, um, things he's challenged with physically. So just to see him running around on the field and even, um, almost forgetting about things and just out there playing, uh, for the joy definitely brings a smile to our face. Um, and he's a funny kid. So, you know, as he runs around and has a good time, there's always good stories. There's always funny things he'll say to his buddy. Um, you know, there's funny things he'll emulate from his sisters that we didn't even realize he maybe was paying attention to that just crack us up. So we definitely have a good time with it. Tell the story, Chris, on how you were first introduced to, top soccer was it directly through sean or did you find it another way actually my daughter um she has a my middle daughter bailey she has a heart for volunteering and helping people um and she actually got involved with the program through indie premier first um as as a buddy and uh right when she started doing that we're like okay, this is a great thing for Aiden. And, you know, Sean, a great, great coach, great guy, just welcomed him with open arms. Um, Aiden loves him, loves to go see coach Sean, uh, made it really welcoming. And just from day one, Aiden was all in uh, with the welcome, with the, with the fun atmosphere, um, everything like that. It was, it was a lot of fun. A couple more questions. Let's get to know Aiden a little better. Obviously he finds joy on the soccer field. What else brings a light to his smile and to his face. He loves his dog. Um, you know, uh, he loves uh, playing in the backyard with his friends. Um, he will uh, play baseball for hours. If you pitch to him, um, him and his buddies will just, we'll go out there and he'll just hit baseballs forever and ever. Uh, that brings a huge smile to his face. Um, he also uh, loves basketball. So we have a hoop, we lower it. Um, he can't have enough fun uh, out in the driveway uh, shooting hoops. And, you know, this is another difference between um, between my typical kids and, and Aiden. Um, and when you're playing soccer at a high level, a lot of times it can require you to be all in. And that's your, your sole focus. And what we love with Aiden is, you know, he can do a lot of different things. Um, he's not so focused on just one sport. Um, so he can, he can have a lot of fun doing a lot of different things. That's so well said. We're here with Chris Capella, who is a parent with a young son, part of the top soccer program. Last week, Terry St. John, the longtime Butler coach, talked about how it's changed the culture of her team by being involved with top soccer. And I loved hearing that, Chris. I mean, here's Butler women's soccer. At the time of the interview, there were 10 two and one, yet they were still making time almost weekly 
to work with the top soccer program, that's got to be great for somebody like Aiden to see a college team come in, men or women, and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hats off to that Butler's women's soccer team. Um, uh, it's, it just creates such a great experience for the kids, um, what they're doing. Um, I, I can't say thank you enough. Um, it raises the bar. Um, and, and the kids love it. I mean, Aiden's just one of, gosh, it seems like there's a hundred kids out there. And if they're half as enthusiastic as he is, I mean, just know that they're bringing a smile to the kid's face and it, it lasts beyond the, the training session, uh, well beyond the training session. Two more questions for you. Kind of this one here is a last word, but then I'm going to go back to the Yagleys to end this. But, you know, you just have one more comment to talk about top soccer. Just put into words what it's meant to you, Aiden, your entire family. Yeah. So um, first off, you know, I mentioned this, um, you know, Bailey loves volunteering there and it brings a smile to her face. And, you know, we have uh, made friends uh, with other families um, through it. Um, and same with Aiden, right? We've met other families, some we knew, some we grew closer to. Um, the social aspect has been great. It's been great to network and talk to other parents whose kids are in similar situations. And it's just been amazing to see the joy on the field uh, when those kids are out there running around and, and having their, their training sessions uh, with Sean. Um, so it's just a, a warm, feel-good, um, great thing we get to do on Sunday nights. And um, it's uh, the world's a better place for it being there. Well, and you know you need top soccer. You need any kind of soccer because if your wife – was actually in the wedding party with Susie Yegley. That's soccer all day, right? I mean, he's got his kids on the team. His dad was the longtime coach. I got to believe And If you're a Hoosier, everybody knows Indiana's a soccer school. Forget about football and that other stuff. Indiana's a soccer school, as you know, Chris. Just talk about uh, keeping connected to soccer through the Yegleys. Yeah, for sure. So um, I don't recall if Elson was in the wedding party or not. It was a long time ago, but I do recall a lot of great times we had with the soccer team, um, especially the spring when they were all seniors. Um, some of the, the, the fun events we went to, uh, my wife um, grew up and knew a lot of those players on that team uh, with Todd when he was playing at IU. And we do keep in touch with a lot of those families. Um, it's a lot of fun when there's a tournament up at Grand Park, which is a, a great sports complex, um, when they're coming in and we're reconnecting with um, college friends that we haven't seen in, you know, 10, 15 years, but their kids are coming up to play. So um, we stay connected that way. Um, obviously, we stay connected through IU soccer. Uh, my wife and, and her friends definitely follow Susie. Susie's a, a probably biggest cheerleader for the program. Uh, so we get all the updates. And then, um, you know, Susie's always willing to host uh, any of our kids that are thinking about coming to IU to bring them down and show them a good time and, and uh, do the sales pitch to uh, get another generation of Hoosiers going. So we stay in touch a lot of ways. That's awesome. She did that with my son, too, actually. I was hoping he was going to Indiana. He ended up at uh, North Carolina. Chris Capella, love to hear that Aiden's doing great in top soccer. Love to hear that your daughter's doing great as a coach as well. The family's all in for top soccer for good reason. Thanks for being part of uh, the third of four shows as we dedicate the entire month to disability awareness. Thank you so much, Chris Capella. Hey, Dean, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Cannot thank Kate Ward enough for putting this four-part series together. 
When we return, we wrap up things with Dan Lawletta, longtime writer, editor, you name it, with The Equalizer. He's also an on-air personality. He's covered a ton of Women's World Cups and Olympics and anything related to the highest level of women's soccer. Dan Lawletta has it covered. We're down the stretch run for the NWSL, hoping things are getting back to normal just a little bit as we all learn lessons as well. Dan Lawletta on the bounce. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. As promised, Dan Lawletta, who has been a key man for the Equalizer for almost 10 years. Prior to that, he's been covering women's soccer way, way back in a lot of the World Cups and championships and you name it. Dan Lawletta has his hand on the heartbeat of women's soccer, particularly professional women's soccer. Dan, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, let's get the big elephant out of the way. Obviously, the news of Paul Riley, you know, really shook the entire league. But even before him, there was a lot of stuff going on with other clubs as well. From where you sit now, how do you feel like uh, the league is pushed forward? Well, they did the Marla Messing hire as the interim CEO earlier in the week. And I think that's most likely a positive step. But they're still searching for a permanent commissioner. Um but, uh, you know, beyond that, honestly, not particularly well, because, you know, it's, yeah, the crux of that story and the tipping point was what Paul Riley did and the allegations against him were mostly from 2014 and 2015. But I think the bigger picture was that those allegations were known to what level exactly, we're not sure, but they were known and they were covered up and there's a feeling that there might be more things out there that were covered up. So um, it's going to take some time. You know, it, it's really going to take a, a lot of time for the league to get this figured out. I do think the players found their voice and their power, at least for the short term, coming out of that, which is a positive, although it's a shame that it took a story like that for, you know, to create that positive. But uh, I'm, I don't, think we're out of the woods at this point. I, I think there's a there's light at the end of the woods, but I don't think we're out by any stretch of the imagination. If we do try to keep the glass half full, and this is important for everybody, not just you and me, but everybody who loves this sport, who was around when WSA came and went, was around when WPS came and went, and now NWSL has got a little bit of stability in that they you know went past that three-year thing, well past it, and now they've hit this speed bump. I guess you get where I'm going with this. I mean, we all want this league to continue to thrive. We're excited about LA and San Diego and sounds like more teams coming in. I guess what I'm saying, Dan, is I'm hoping it's just one of those necessary speed bumps. It was kind of ugly, kind of hard to look away, but one that we can clean up and, and move forward in a positive direction. Yeah, I think the glass half full perspective is that part of the motivation, I would assume, covering these things up was that no one thought the league could sustain such a scandal or being dragged to court. You know, I, I used to work for WPS 
Um, I was an independent journalist, but my work went on WPS website. And pretty much the main rule that I had was you can't say anything that's going to get us sued, even if it's legitimate. If we get sued by something you write, that could bring the entire league down. Like we can't afford to get sued. And at the end of the day, what brought WPS down, you know, there were teams leaving and whatnot, but what put the final nail in the coffin was all the legal fees and the legal hassles for Magic Jack. And they kind of decided, you know what, if we don't exist, then these legal issues go away. Um, now, look, I am not condoning in any way, shape, or form covering up what happened with Paul Riley, but I do think we have moved beyond the, hey, if this thing happens, the league might go away. You know, you might lose a team here and there. You might, you know, you might have to take some steps backwards, but I do feel, and I, I like, I don't, I don't feel like we're on the level yet where the league will survive no matter what, but I don't think we're at the point anymore where a small thing could be the end of the league. And because of that, I think there's an opportunity for planning some more things that are more than, you know, next week or next month. And the league needs to do a better job of that, which is another conversation. But, you know, I guess that's my glass half full scenario. And, you know, I also, if the, you know, if the players are more empowered going forward, that's also part of the glass half full. It's just a very unfortunate way that the glass had to be filled up. Well, the uh, glass is overflowing here now because the season is almost over. Pretty much everybody but three teams has one game remaining, New York, New Jersey, Gotham FC. They have three games remaining. And down there toward the bottom, Louisville and KC, who are already eliminated from the playoffs. And if my math is right, Orlando has already been eliminated from the playoffs. It's yep, they are. Yeah, it's hard for me to, you know, have haven't been around the North Carolina Courage a long time to see that they are potentially out. I mean, they're going to need a couple of miracles, including beating Portland and then hope for a few losses. I think yeah, that's kind of rare to see, isn't it? The, the courage. And of course they were in the middle of part of this firestorm. They may not make the playoffs, Dan. It's pretty amazing. And you know, this has been a season like no other in the NWSL in terms of the way the table has been been tight teams have been up teams have been down. And the two main places you go right now are at Washington and how well they played and the courage and the bottom kind of dropping out of the courage. And they need to win, as you said, against Portland. They need to win that game. At, I believe that game's in Portland, right? Yep. So they need to win that game and they need help. So they could get to that game and already be, um, I don't think they can be eliminated by the time they get there, but it can be close. They need to win and they need help. So Look, almost every team this year has gone through some sort of intense emotional adjustment. And obviously the courage are one of them with, with Riley getting fired. And they did win their first game after that, but they have spiraled ever since. So that is obviously part of the deal there. But let's not lose sight of the fact that the way the courage season has gone has really flattered Sam Mewis, who ESPN voted as the best player in the world but at some point before the Olympics, because they started the season kind of even, then Mewis came back, and you and me called a game together when they beat the Thorns, I think that was in June, and Haran didn't play in that game for the Thorns, but the Courage were right there with the best teams in the league at that point. Mewis got hurt coming out of the Olympics, and they haven't been close to the same. So how much you want to put on the fact that, you know, Mewis is just that good and how much you want to put on the fact that 
you know, they're most likely emotionally spent. I don't know, but it's it'll be very unusual if we get to November and we're getting ready for the playoffs and the courage aren't in it at all. I don't know that we expected them to dominate the league like they did in 17, 18, 19, but no playoffs when six out of 10 are getting in is pretty remarkable. And one other element of that, Dean, is that the Amy Rodriguez trade, and I was on the, I was part of the smaller group that thought it was a good move that her and Lynn Williams would light it up together. That hasn't worked out at all. It has been a colossal disappointment. In fact, I think Amy Rodriguez's tenure in North Carolina, whether that can be turned around, I'm not sure, but you know, one of Riley's last games, he lined them up in a three, six, one and had Rodriguez playing somewhere on the outside. I thought was one of his more bizarre moves uh, as head coach. So uh, that hasn't helped. So those are the three factors I think about why the courage are where they are. I think it's going to be fantastic down the stretch though. Portland is just next level. I mean, every line they're they're loaded, even with some late season trades with France leaving, they still seem solid in goal. I mean, every line and then they're veterans and they're youngsters. And I mean, they just have, uh, I mean, they are overflowing with goodness, I would say. And then of course the rain with that relationship with Leon has brought over some amazing players. You're seeing Megan and Rose get a little bit of time. You just mentioned the Washington spirit dismantling uh, the North Carolina courage, Gotham dismantling the North Carolina courage. So I feel like those teams are in and then Chicago had to beat a very good Orlando team on the road to stay right where they are. So, I mean, those are five teams I've just mentioned and, and you know, you can throw Houston in there too. They're always dangerous assuming the North Carolina courage can't get lucky it's kind of hard to call however Portland and rain all season long have kind of shown they're the top of the class with you know charges now coming from Washington Chicago and Gotham yeah the rain are fascinating because if you go back again to the early part of the season when Fareed Ben Stiddy was there they were not good they were not a good team I know Ben Stiddy got let go ultimately as a result of some comments he made at a team meeting, team was not good. They had all this talent and they did not seem to know how to harness that talent. And then I think Sam Lady deserves an awful lot of credit for kind of bridging the gap between Ben Stiddy and Laura Harvey. But I think the best of the reign this season, the absolute best, is the best of any team in the league. My concern with the rain is that they maybe don't bring their best often enough and that they can get into ruts. So, you know, if they win this weekend, or even if they draw, well, if they win, it's for sure. If they draw, there's a decent chance, but they, you know, basically they're going to be a semifinal at home and then the final away from winning the title. And what's really interesting about the rain and the thorns is that there's a lot of pressure on both of those teams in the sense that Mark Parsons is leaving at the end of the season to go coach the Netherlands. So this is Parsons last hurrah. So it's, you know, this is it. He's got to win now. There's no more chances. And the reign of all these players in on loan. And you can say, well, maybe they really liked it. Maybe they'll come back and you certainly never know, but the euros are next year. So I don't really expect that you're going to have Lace O'Mare and Buhati and Marajan come back and, you know, be based over here while the Euros are going on. So I think this rain project, at least in its current iteration, was always a win now or else sort of thing. So it'll really be fascinating if the teams meet in the final under that pretense 
and we all know about the rivalry. And just one more thing about the courage in that game against Portland. If there's any belief that the Thorns are going to go easy in that game, keep in mind that the Thorns are off this weekend, then they play the courage, then they're off again because they get a bye into the semis. And then they play their semifinal on the weekend of November 13-14. So we're talking about four weeks in between meaningful games. So I don't think the Thorns are going to have the option to go soft against the courage. So I think the courage really have their work cut out for them for that reason, if no other. Well, let's make you make some predictions. I know that's not necessarily in your job title, but you're a writer. You're also a broadcaster, which makes you, in my assumption, a prognosticator as well. So who are we going to see in the final? Is it going to be Portland and rain? Or are you going to uh, somehow come off of that line? You know, there's something in the back of my head that thinks that one of those teams is going to get knocked off. But if I was making an actual prediction right now, it would be thorns and rain. But I'll tell you what, I think that the spirit and the dash are two teams. I think those two teams, when they are playing their best, can play with anybody in this league. Now, the dash have thrown away points all over the place this season from winning positions. They've been inconsistent. Uh, you know, they, they crushed the courage the other day and maybe that wasn't as good a result in hindsight as we thought, but then they came out and got blown off the field by Kansas city. And James Clarkson said he didn't even recognize that team Washington. They haven't lost a game other than forfeited games since Chris Ward took over for Richie Burke. You know, they haven't lost, on the field. And if I told you when Burke was let go and they brought in an interim coach that two of the rest of the rest of their games, two of them are going to be forfeited and they're still going to make the playoffs. You probably wouldn't have believed me, but there they are. And they've gone through a lot of different things too, not only Burke, but issues with the ownership. So those are the two teams that scare me the most. But I think at the end of the day, the thorns and the rain, are the two best teams. And I think it would be pretty cool for the league to have them in the final together. And again, the two elements of pressure that I mentioned beyond just the pressure of being in the final against your bitter rival, I think would really be entertaining. I feel like it also wouldn't hurt if Carly Lloyd made one last run all the way to the final. They're, they're playing some pretty good soccer too, Dan. They are. You know, what's wild is that they've got three games left so they're down in fifth but if they win those three games and the rain do not win their game against kansas city then gotham will actually be a team hosting a semifinal. and the thing about carly lloyd dean is that think about all the different u.s players that have come back from the olympics carly lloyd is playing fabulous is there anybody else from that olympic team that's actually playing well, not that they're all playing poorly, but there's no, I don't feel like a lot of the Olympic players from the U.S. are standout different makers since then. And to be honest, the same thing kind of happened in 2019 after the World Cup. I just don't think the teams were as tightly bunched at the time, so it was maybe a little bit less noticeable. But, yeah, Carly Lloyd is certainly milking this last couple of games for Gotham for all they're worth. She's going to say goodbye to the national team here in a couple of days. We'll actually miss the next Gotham game because they're playing during the FIFA break in Kansas city, which is a makeup game, but they got to be Kansas city on the road, Louisville on the road, Louisville at home, you know, not undoable for them to be in, in second or third. And if they win those games at the very least, they get a playoff game at Red Bull arena. So yeah, that's a good shout on Carly Lloyd. I don't think the, that Gotham 
necessarily is as good as those other teams, but that doesn't mean that they aren't good enough to play with them on a certain day. Dan Lawletta with the Equalizer. Dan, where can people find your work or your social media handles real quick? Well, the work is on equalizersoccer.com and the Twitter account is the Dan Lawletta. And that's uh, Lawletta, L-A-U-L-E-T-T-A, the Dan Lawletta. And the uh, written work is on equalizersoccer.com. Dan, I have time for you all day, every day. Thank you so much for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. My pleasure. Anytime. I want to thank Maya Hayes, Mike Curry, Chris Capella, and Dan Lawletta. I also want to thank Sean Chevro, Erica Dyer, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. Congratulations to Jeff Van Dusen on being named the new CEO. And a final thanks to Bailey Coughlin, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.